two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The video said that uh, our Lord came for one purpose, to seek and to save the lost. You need a scripture verse, head to Luke 19.10. Son of man, come to seek and to save the lost. Roller coaster ride for the two Emmaus disciples. They're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, either living there or working there. And hence their names. Luke tells us the name of one of them, Cleopas, the disciple of Jesus, and quite frankly, if you do the research, he's Jesus' uncle. Cleopas was married to a woman named Mary, one of the four women who were standing underneath the cross when Jesus died, and one of the four women who a day and a half later are going to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday. They're going to the tomb to clean up the monstrously defiled body of Jesus. The blood sponged off, the spices placed within the wrappings. And as these two disciples are going to Emmaus, if you look at it in the Greek, it's translated, they are tossing words. They are tossing words. In the English, it means they were arguing with each other. What was the argument? What was the discussion? Why are they leaving Jerusalem? They give the answer. It says they had hoped, past tense, they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. And in talking about Jesus as they're walking to Emmaus, it is very noticeable how their estimation of him has changed. Before the cross, He was to them the Son of God. He was the Messiah. And now as they talk about him, they have degraded his position. He is no longer Messiah. He is simply a prophet. It reminds me of Jesus asking the disciples on that occasion, Matthew 16, six months before the cross, when he says to them, We are now going to go to Jerusalem. And I will be put on trial, I will be beaten, I will be killed, and on the third day I will rise to life. And Simon Peter took him by the side and he tried to talk some sense into him. He said, your words make no sense. We have thousands of people following us. Everything is going better than we could ever imagine And now you're talking about being killed. Simon Peter said, it's not possible for that to happen. And Simon Peter meant, with all the power you have, you can't kill God. And we know that you're the Son of God. And that's when Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. Your understanding is limited to what your eyes can see. God has a greater plan. They had hoped he was the Messiah. When Jesus asked the disciples on that day, who do people say that I am? They answered, some say you're Elijah, and some say you're Jeremiah, and some say you're one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God.
That is what his disciples believed. That is what these two disciples on the road to Emmaus believed until he died. And no longer the Son of God because he can't kill the Son of God. He's just a prophet. Simon Peter was correct. He can't kill the Son of God. Twice in 12 hours, Jesus made this comment. When the Roman soldiers come with their swords in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said to them, Why have you come with your swords? Don't you know I could call the angels down from heaven and they would wipe you out in the snap of a finger? And within 12 hours, he's talking to Pontius Pilate, who says to him, Why don't you open your mouth? Why don't you defend yourself? Don't you know that I have the power to kill you or to save your life? Jesus said it a second time. He said, Pilate, you'd have no power over me except it's given to you by God. I shall lay down my life and I shall pick it up again. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And these two disciples are tossing words. Is he risen from the dead? Did someone steal the body? What are we to believe? In one gospel account, I never like to read it on Easter, so he don't. It's Luke 24. It says the women came back and told the disciples, we've seen him risen from the dead. And in that account, in this gospel, it says they didn't believe the women. Simon Peter runs to the tomb, and he sees the tomb is empty, and the Bible says he was confused, he didn't know what it meant. I never like to read that one on Easter. These two disciples are lost. It's not that their GPS system is broken. It wasn't that hard to find Emmaus. It was a fact that they were lost in what the video talked about. They were lost in their doubts and in their confusion. Why does Jesus come to them? Because that's what he always did. Why did Jesus come to them? Because that's what he always still does. He comes to seek and to save the lost. It might be a beggar with clothes rent and torn, but he comes to that beggar Bartimaeus. And in the very next chapter, you got a guy in the finest of robes up in a sycamore tree, and he comes to him. Bartimaeus is lost, and Zacchaeus is lost, and the woman at Sychar as well. She's lost. And his 11 disciples hiding in the upper room on that first Easter, they are lost in their doubts and in their fears. Bible says, as I mentioned last week, he did a lot of traveling on Easter. Not a problem if you're omnipresent. Not a problem if you're son of God. On that first Easter, he's up in Galilee, 70 miles to the north, appearing to 500 of the brethren who have gathered together on that day because they heard the day before that Jesus had died. And there are 500 sitting there, and they are lost in their sadness, in their fear, and in their grief. And he comes to them. 
And on that first Easter, he is appearing to his brother James, who didn't believe in him. But he makes a special appearance to James. And James becomes the first pastor of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. And he appears privately to Simon Peter. He appears to all the disciples that evening, but a private meeting with Simon Peter, and you know why. Simon Peter has denied him, and Simon Peter weeps bitterly, and Jesus comes to Simon Peter in all of his grief and makes that appearance. Simon Peter is lost. How could I have denied my Lord when an hour earlier I said I'd be willing to die with you? He comes to those who are lost. Population of planet Earth in Jesus' time, 300 million. There's one individual on the cross next to him, one person out of 300 million, and he goes to him. Jesus goes to him because he's lost. There are now 7.7 billion of us on the planet, give or take a hundred or so. And he comes to every single one. Karl Haas, he died 18 years ago. He was the youngest of 19 children. Growing up in a farm in North Dakota. He said, uh, our parents never got our names right. We had to make name tags and put them around our necks so the parents would call us by the right name. But he said something I'll never forget. He said, there was not a single one of us that did not doubt for a moment that our mom and dad loved us as if we were the only child in the home. And when he said that to me 18 years ago, I thought about God, seven billion on the planet, and he looks at you as if you're the only one. And you say, how do you know that strand? Because you know that. How many times has he come to you? How many times have you realized that was a fingerprint of God on that thing? How many times has he come? And you knew it was him. At a funeral on uh, Friday morning, at another funeral on Saturday morning, uh, those families are lost in grief. But they're not lost with regards to knowing where their loved one is. And when we have the funeral for Jenny Beback in this sanctuary on Tuesday morning, the mother, Joyce, her grief is going to extend for decades because this is her daughter who has died. This is her daughter's who died. She is lost in a grief that as I talked with her, she said, Pastor, how long does this grief last? And I said, after seven or eight years, it will begin to live. And then you can live with it. Her daughter had spina bifida. For 51 years she lived with that illness. You remember her as she came walking in with her walker every Sunday morning with her mom. 
Joyce Beback is lost in her grief. But she said, Pastor, how do you explain the joy that my daughter is safe from this disease, and yet the grief is so strong? Come to seek and to save the lost. Who are the lost? Atheists? Sometimes the lost are atheists or they're agnostics. Sometimes the lost are people like you and me saying, I'm still trying to decide about him. Sometimes the lost are like these two disciples, is he or isn't he? How do we get lost today? I told you about the gentleman at LA Fitness last Saturday morning. Saturday of Easter, he's sharing with me words of comfort concerning Jonathan because a 24-inch bicep man is also Christian. And I am sharing with him the same word because, as you remember, his wife the day before diagnosed with cancer, terminal to young children at home. He's lost in grief, but he's not lost about him. How do we get lost? I was a believer until she got cancer. I've heard that uh, 200 times. I was a believer until I lost my job, and it took me two and a half years to find another. I've heard that one a number of times. I was a believer until the accident with that motorcycle and my left side paralyzed. I've heard that one a few times. I've heard it. I was a believer until. And Jesus comes. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He was a son of God. Now he's a prophet because they killed him. You and I become lost in the matters of life. The question is this. David, Psalm 139. Can a darkness come into my life that is so deep that God's light is extinguished? I've mentioned to you, Benjamin Franklin, many times. Eight-year-old son dies. Guess what happens to his faith? It is extinguished. He literally writes, I shall never believe in God again, nor shall you if you are of a correct mind, because if he cannot save my child, why would I believe in him? 1 John 3.20 Even if our heart has doubts, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. He knows whether we believe in him or not. Tomb is still empty. The message shall go to the end of time. John of Damascus writing our hymn for us 1,300 years ago. And we're still singing about his resurrection and our need for that. Closing word. 
Jesus' parable, Luke 15. The shepherd has a hundred sheep, and he loses one. And he leaves what? He leaves the 99 unattended to go after the one. And if you and I are his neighbor, we would say to him, are you out of your mind? Is your OCD that bad that you have to go after one sheep and you leave 99 unattended? You need some therapy. And he would say, I loved that sheep. Like Carl Haas, one of 19, we never doubted for a moment that they loved us as if we were their only child. He goes after the lost. So does our Lord and Savior. Whether there's 300 million on the planet or whether there's seven and a half billion on the planet, every single one he goes after. 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. One day is with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to his promise of his second coming. He is long-suffering and patient, not willing for any to remain lost, but for all to come to him. Wish you could have heard the kiddos singing last night. It was marvelous. They were singing forth their faith. And may they, 30, 40, 50 years from now, be singing forth their faith. And what about you? And what about me? Do we take the news, keep it inside, and say, great stuff? Or do we do what the disciples did? Those two disciples, when they heard the news, they didn't go to bed. Elated, they ran back to Jerusalem in the middle of the night, seven miles. What did Jesus do when he rose from the dead? He, he said, because I live, ye shall live also. And he visited his disciples at least three times in those 40 days. When Pentecost came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, did they sit and say, great, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is good for us. No. The Holy Spirit said, you go and be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the utter ends of the earth. You have the message. There's just a few less on this Sunday than there was on Easter. I mean, on Easter there were a thousand, and maybe this weekend we'll have three hundred. None of that matters. What matters is this. Eurymaeus is at the gym. Is it the plumber's union? Eurymaeus, is it the hospital you work at? The fraternity you belong to, the sorority? Eurymaeus, is it the metro train? Is it the next door neighbor? Is it the family you've married in? What is Eurymaeus? And when he reveals himself in his word, what are you to do with the word? You take it to others. You take his word to others. Because his word, as the video says, has the power to change everything.
In our Savior's name, amen. Heavenly Father, on that first Easter, your disciples were hiding in the upper room, lost in their fears and doubts, and you came to them. Fifty days later, they are scouring planet Earth, trying to get your news out to as many as possible. May we do the same with the years that you give us on this earth. May we use those years, time, talents, and treasures, to share a bit of the gospel with some other human being. We are to seek and to save the lost, which was the same job that you had. Keep us close to you, Lord, in our Savior's name. Amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.